0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast. Hi podcast listeners.
0: Hey everybody. We're happy to be with you as always. Yeah. I didn't whistle that time. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the last episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Speaking of episodes, we have podcast episodes. What do you call it on the YouTube channel? Are they episodes or what are they?
0: Oh, I don't know. Do we call them episodes? they're uh,
1: Just YouTube videos. Just YouTube
0: videos, yeah. And on that note, uh, I invite everybody to check out what we've been doing lately on... We have two YouTube channels right now at the TOB Institute. Uh One is the general TOB Institute channel. You can go to YouTube and type in Theology of the Body Institute. And Bill Dunahy has been doing some new videos there. And then there's the Christopher West channel on YouTube. And we have on that channel, we have probably, gosh, I don't know, 30 of these new videos that we've done since we set up a new studio, Mm -hmm. got the right lighting. And we experimented with all kinds of different approaches to the YouTube channel. And then we realized, you know, we really need to set this up like it's like we mean it. <laughs> and we finally did that. So, yeah, check out, if you're not already subscribed to the Christopher West YouTube channel and the TOB Institute YouTube channel, please go check out that channels, watch those videos, share them with friends and family. There's lots of stuff on there that you'll, you'll really appreciate. And we have a lot of new videos. Uh, every week we're, we're putting out three, at least three videos on the Christopher West channel. And um, maybe the same amount on the other channel, I'm not exactly sure. but
1: and how long is a typical video?
0: Typical videos uh anywhere from like 7 to 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're just getting a little snapshot of something, a little tidbit. Yeah. And the goal is to just evangelize out there. Yeah. And uh, one of the fun things, if you subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit like on the videos or, and all that stuff, you are actually forcing... YouTube to evangelize, Uh. (laughs)
1: because
0: the way the algorithms work, right? if they get lots of likes and subscribers, then YouTube actually promotes it more. So force YouTube to promote the gospel (laughs) and promote theology of the body by subscribing to those channels. Yeah. Check it out.
1: That is a neat way to look at it. You have some other things going on at the Institute that you want to share with our listeners.
0: Yes, we have. three summer courses in person. Uh, if you want to check out the links below to learn more about that, we have the TOB1 at the end of June. I think that's sold out, but you can see, you can get on the waiting list because sometimes we have cancellations. Then we have Sexual Ethics in July. Then we have Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization in August. So if you want to get away to a beautiful retreat center here in Pennsylvania for five days and immerse yourself Check out the links to those courses. Would love to have you in person for five days. Yeah,
1: and one of the great things about coming in person is the, in addition to the great course, is um, shared prayer experiences and friendships that form as a result of being students together. So it's a really beautiful
0: thing. Yeah, we've even had marriages form. It's true. Jackie Francois and her husband, Bobby Angel, met At one of our courses. How about it? it? Right here at BlackRock Retreat Center, down the street from our house. (laughs) If you don't know who they are, just Google Bobby Angel and Jackie Francois. They do a lot of great stuff on Ascension Presents. You can check out Mm -hmm. their work there.
1: So here's our first question from a patron named Megan.
0: Megan, thank you so much for being a patron. We cannot do the work we do without patrons like you who support us month to month. And I hope, Megan, you're taking advantage of all the ongoing formation that we offer our patrons, and if you would like to get your question more likely to be answered Mm -hmm. on our podcast, one way to do that is to become part of our patron community. Check out the link below. Yes.
1: Megan says, I've heard the Catholic Church does not approve of cremated ashes being scattered or divided. If this is the case, why do we as Catholics have saints' body parts as relics, sometimes divided across the world in different locations? What is the difference? Does the physical location of our dead body parts have anything to do with the resurrection of our bodies in the end?
0: Great question. I like that one. I've never, I've gotten questions about cremation before, but never specifically from that angle. So let's, let's just address cremation in a general sense, and then we can get into more of those specific questions. If you'd like to do a deep dive on what the Church teaches on cremation, I'd recommend Scott Hahn's book, Hope to Die. It's a reflection on death and the resurrection of the body, and he goes into the whole history of the question, and he, he acknowledges, which is right to acknowledge, the Church does not absolutely forbid cremation, but the Church discourages cremation. It can create a a lack of respect for the body, not necessarily, but it can can contribute to it. Um, In the end, this is what we believe, that our bodies will be raised from the dead. This is astounding. In fact, the Catechism says the most controversial teaching of Christianity is not safe sex for marriage. <laughs> it's not only men can be priests. It's the resurrection of the body. Uh, how many religions, all the world religions, have some form of teaching about what happens after we die, and most religions believe in some kind of spiritual afterlife? But Christianity proclaims not just a spiritual afterlife. Christianity proclaims the resurrection of our bodies. Yes, indeed, bury your body, it's going to die, you're going to put it in the ground, it's going to return to dust. But if God can gather the dust at the beginning of time and breathe his life into it, he can gather the dust at the end of time and breathe his life into it. That's what we hope for. So cremation, you could say, this is why it's not absolutely forbidden— Cremation is just speeding up the process of nature by returning the body to dust. But it's problematic because people are then tempted to want to take those ashes and put them on their mantle, or scatter them in the woods, or scatter them in the ocean, or, and, and that, that can be a sign of not properly honoring the deceased, not recognizing the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, not it can also be a, a recognition that we've lost faith in the resurrection of the body altogether. Mm. Again, it's not necessarily that merely to cremate, but the church is putting boundaries around what we do with the ashes because of how holy, sacred, uh, and important the body is. Mm. That is not just like the ashes of your dead dog. Mm-hmm. That's the ashes of the body of a human person.
1: I just want to say as you're saying these things, I'm I'm sensing something that I don't know if I'm gonna articulate it perfectly, but something of almost not wanting to admit the pain of of losing someone. Almost like let's just hurry up the whole process. Mm, You know, mm. not not to really experience the sadness of a body being placed in the ground and just sitting with that slow process that it is. I don't know. that I'm not trying to analyze every person yeah. who decides on cremation for themselves or a family member. It's just a, a possible thing that's missing in that process is kind of just a, a loving reverence for the gift of our bodies.
0: That's a really important point, I think, Wendy. And I, it inspires me to say, if there are people out there thinking I'd like to be cremated, I would just ask you to examine why. What's motivating you to want to be cremated? Again, it's not necessarily a bad motivation, but it could be coming from a place of fear of what happens in the ground when you put your body there. It could be coming from a place of lack of trust in the resurrection of the body, or total lack of faith in the resurrection of the body. And the Church, in her teaching on what we do with the bodies of the deceased, is all about honoring and respecting the dignity of the body and upholding the hope of the resurrection of the body. And I I remember a story of a friend of ours, uh, Jackie, whose husband died of brain cancer 15 years ago or more, and she was mourning after the funeral she was mourning the thought of her husband's body in the ground rotting mm. and her well-meaning but misguided friends said things like oh jackie you don't have to be sad about that that's just his body mm. he's he's now in heaven with the lord and and she with a proper catholic sensibility mm-hmm responded, but that's the body that loved me. That's the body I love. That's the Mm -hmm. body through which we conceived all of our children, Mm -hmm. and it's rotting in the ground, and it's tearing me apart. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what death does. It tears us apart. Mm -hmm. The separation of body and soul is not normal. It's normal in the sense that it happens every day when people die, but it's not normal in the sense that it, it was never part of God's plan that there would be a rupture of body and soul. And the solution to that rupture, the solution to that pain of the idea of the body rotting in the soul is not to pretend the body is not integral to who we are. It's not to, well, just hit the cremate button so I don't have to think about it. It's to place our faith, our hope, our trust in the promise of God, which is in the end, our bodies will be raised from the dead. Oh my word, Wendy, I cannot wait I can ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. I have rejoiced in your body on earth. I cannot wait to rejoice in your glorified body in heaven. And if the, the the way to get to the glorification of the body is the humiliation of the body through aging and death and decay, then let it be. If that's the way to glory, then then we can embrace it with hope. Resurrection of the body, Lord, give us faith. Open our eyes, open our hearts to that amazing promise.
1: In the question, she also mentioned um, relics of saints' bodies. Oh, right. And I just think, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm so glad you kind of yeah. already answered it in a way because you talked about the church upholding the holiness of, of our bodies right. and reverence. So I think the the, the application to relics becomes more clear. That
0: is the bridge, and I'm, I'm glad you you laid that bridge right out so I can walk across it and invite everybody else to walk across it too. the 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 teaching of the Church about the remains of the deceased is reverence. Mm. If we do not show reverence for relics, then we're in the same conundrum and problem, mm-hmm. right? We are to venerate the relics of the saints. And yeah, let's admit, it is a little weird. I was in... Uh, Italy on a pilgrimage leading a pilgrimage a couple of years ago. and we went to the town and the the I don't know if it's a cathedral or a basilica. I can't remember where <laughs> you can you can see the head of Saint Catherine of Siena. Her head's there and her other parts of her body are, are elsewhere. and it's it does strike one as odd, we have to admit. Um, yeah, a little weird. If we are properly venerating those parts of the body, um, then we are we are in keeping and, and honoring the spirit of what the Catholic Church teaches about the deceased. Yeah. Thank Hope you. that's helpful. Bless you.
1: Our Next question is from Elizabeth. She says, What are we to make of all these different sexuality options that are appearing? How are we to react in love to people who present themselves to us with these different forms of sexual orientation? How do we teach our children in a way that will protect them from being confused?
0: I I want to address the first question first. What are we to make of this? What we are to make of this, and I don't say this with judgment or condemnation, it's just the reality. We live in a ruptured world a deeply confused world where we have ruptured the body and the soul and we have lost all sense of who we are as male and female so let's start right there who are we as male and female why did God create us as male and female Jesus himself says haven't you read that in the beginning God made them male and and female. We forget in the modern world that the world we experience is a fallen world. Christ points us back to the beginning. Here's the good news of the Gospel in a nutshell, and the Catechism says as much. The Catechism, in summarizing, you could say, the whole message of the Gospel says, Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. Let that sink in. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. That's why Christ, in his discussion about marriage, points us back to the beginning. Haven't you read that in the beginning, God made the male and female? Everything else, whatever you might say about sexual orientation or gender identity— And in the modern world, there are an infinite number of sexual orientations and gender identities. In the beginning, God created us as male and female, two genders, for what purpose? To orient us toward the infinite. Now now listen to that. God created two genders, called the two— to be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean? We're talking about genital intercourse. What does the word gender mean? You've heard me say this before on the podcast, but it bears repeating. We, we f- get the word gender from the Greek root gen, which share, shares the same root as words like generous, genesis, progeny, generate, genealogy, genes. That Greek root gen means to produce, to give birth to. Gender before it got deconstructed in the modern world has always had always been understood as the manner in which you generate new life. And that's determined by another gen word, your genitals. Your genitals determine the manner in which you generate new life, which means your genitals determine your gender. The male genders, genitals generate new life with sperm. The female genders, genitals generate new life with eggs. And notice you need sperm and eggs to meet for generation to happen. What do you need? You need genital intercourse. This is what it means that we are male and female. It is the call to be fruitful and multiply in the image and likeness of the God who Himself is eternally generating the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not sexually. God is not sexual. But our sexuality, our being male and female, our being gendered creatures— is meant to image in a created way the eternal generation of the Son by the Father in the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. In other words, gender was created by God to orient us towards the infinite. All the enemy can do, and this is what he does in a fallen world, this is what the fall is, the devil doesn't have his own clay, all he can do is take God's clay and twist it up, right? God's clay is very good. Haven't you read that in the beginning, God made them male and female? The enemy gets his hand on that clay, male and female, oriented towards the infinite, and he twists it up, and what do you get now? That creation of sexuality, of being male and female, of being oriented towards the infinite, that gets twisted up, and now, rather than being oriented towards the infinite, we have an infinite number of orientations Mm. and gender identities. Yes. That's the twisting of God's clay. Here's the good news. Again, we proclaim it with the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Christ came into the world, a male child born of a female. There it is. Male and female always reveal the mystery. A male child born of a female. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. His first miracle is at a wedding, because that's what needs to be redeemed. First, our creation as male and female. The crucifixion happened on day six a Friday. That takes us right back to Genesis, the day of the creation of man and woman in the image and likeness of mm-hmm. God. The resurrection happens on day eight, the day of the new creation. Christ comes out of the tomb... And he left the grave clothes behind, it says. What do we have here? We have a new Adam. We have a new Adam coming out of the ground, just like the first Adam came out of the ground. And who greets him? Who's there? Who does he see first? A woman. A woman. There it is. Male and female together. There, it's it's the gospel message. What is our eternity? What is our destiny? It's the marriage of the Lamb. What's the whole Bible in five words? God wants to marry us. And he wanted this eternal marital plan to be so plain to us that he chiseled an image of it right in our bodies by making us male and female and calling the two to become one flesh. That's why the devil is after that clay, to twist it up, to disorient us, to confuse us. We live in a world that is tragically disoriented sexually and utterly confused when it comes to gender, because there is an enemy who doesn't want us to know who we are and doesn't want us to reach the marriage of the Lamb. That's the short answer, which wasn't so short, to the question, what's going on? Mm. That's what's going on. Gender is under violent attack in the modern world because there's an enemy who doesn't want us to know who we really are. How do we meet those who are immersed in this confusion? We meet them with love with tenderness, with compassion, with a willingness to suffer with them. That's what compassion is, suffering with, and with the invitation to come into the redemption of their bodies in Jesus Christ. What does the redemption of the body mean? Christ came not to save us from the flesh. Christ came to save the flesh. Mm. Not to save us from the flesh, but to save the flesh. Christianity holds out to us the redemption of our bodies. That means anybody who has ever felt like nobody through the encounter with the body of Christ can rediscover that you are somebody. And this redemption of the body is for every body. This is our faith. This is the invitation we have to hold out. Elizabeth, I would encourage you to read the new chapter in the new edition of my Q&A book. I first wrote that book in 1999, and I had to revise it and add a new chapter just a couple years ago because of how the culture has changed in the last 20 years. And the new chapter is all about these gender identity questions— I'd urge you, please, to, to get in into more detail on this question. Please read that new chapter in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. Wendy, do you want to add anything to what I've said?
1: I just want to share a little bit about uh, the question of how do we uh, teach our children. Yes. And it's not a, There's no way to fully answer it, both because your children are unique and because each set of parents is unique. But I'll just share that for us, we try to... In acknowledge both the kind of uh, just impossibility of what's being proposed, that uh, a man could become a woman or a woman could become a man, to acknowledge that, but also in the same conversation to acknowledge that people who say these things are in pain. And so that we're trying to kind of you know, teach both at the same time that understanding that this is in our world um, and it's, it's confusing and it's, um, it goes against our instinct. And I think children know that it goes against their instincts and what they've, you know, just observed through life. It, it, it contradicts what makes utter sense that there are girls and there are boys and girls grow into women and boys grow into men. Certainly, we can just affirm that from a very young age. You know, if you have a girl, you're gonna grow up to be a woman. Um, but and likewise for a boy, you're gonna grow up to be a man. But so to to confirm their instinctive that doesn't make sense. Well, you're right; it doesn't make sense. But to also just be planting always the seed of not just rejecting people who are suffering. If there's a specific person, in, you know, in our lives that we continue to pray for them as a family, those are other things that we can do to help our children. I would also just say that it it may be that we need to remove our children from certain environments where that cultural message is coming across very powerfully. You know, if they're in a school setting where that um, message is being promoted, or if they're watching. YouTubers or TikTok videos, you know, things where this is kind of being embraced. We need to have them not um, just allowing that to be what feeds their minds.
0: It's so important that, that parents themselves immerse themselves in this vision that John Paul II has given us. Really and truly, for such a time as this, the crazy, chaotic, confusing times we are living in, For such a time as this have we been given St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. I I beg the parents out there, please, please go deeper into this teaching. Take a course through the Theology of the Body Institute. Read Theology of the Body for Beginners. Read Good News About Sex and Marriage. Just please, please, I beg of you, scarcely anything can make up for parents' failure in this regard to pass on to their children this vision— But you cannot give what you do not have. We have to take up the vision ourselves in order to pass it on to our children. Mm. And I'm not saying this at all to to wag fingers or scold or shame anybody, but I am saying it, I hope, as a wake-up call that we really do have a responsibility as parents to, to immerse ourselves in the true, the good, and the beautiful, so that we can pass it on to our kids. If we show them the beauty and splendor of the banquet, we are preparing them to recognize the, the deception of the fast food.
1: That's so true.
0: I do want to say just one more thing about where all this confusion has come from. And I can't get into all the details. I ask you, please, again, forgive me for sounding like a broken record. I get into all the details in the book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. But the origin of the gender confusion in our world today is the embrace of contraception.
1: Yes, I was thinking that.
0: (laughs) Contraception is the original gender confusion. Mm. Why? What does gender mean? Gender means the manner in which you generate new life. What is contraception? It is the specific goal to thwart the meaning of gender. What we are reaping now is the fruit of having embraced contraception. And I don't think I've read anybody who says it as insightfully as a young female Catholic writer. Her name is Abigail, and forgive me, Abigail, if I'm flubbing your, your last name, Favali or Favale. Uh, we will put this a link to this article in the show notes here. But she says this, and I'm quoting, she says, "...because bodily sex has been divorced from procreative potential, and reduced to appearance and pleasure making, the prospect of changing one's sex has now become feasible. If man and woman are defined properly in terms of their generative potentiality, we recognize that it is simply impossible to change one's sex. A scalpel can sterilize, it can permanently impede procreative potential but a scalpel can never endow the procreative potential of the other sex. Elaborate surgical and hormonal interventions can alter the appearance of the body and mimic sex markers, she says, and that is enough for us now in a contracepting world because that's what the body and sex have become. Mm. And then she says, catch this, a surgeon can make a vagina out of a wound because the vagina is no longer seen as the doorway to the womb. When you rid the body of its generative power, that itself is a direct frontal attack on the meaning of gender. And we could put it this way, just to summarize. A culture that fails to respect and honor the fact that genitals are meant to generate, that culture will inevitably degenerate. And that's the world we live in now. Jesus, you came for this purpose, to save us from the lies of the enemy. You came to undo the work of the enemy, and this is the work of the enemy. May your body, Jesus, and the redemption that you won through your body, Jesus, may it have its full effect in our lives and in our bodies. Amen.
1: Next question is from Tatum. Hello, Tatum. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for your podcast. I listen to it every morning before my teaching assistant job, and you have very much inspired my desire to be a theology teacher. Awesome. Having had a recent and intense reversion back to my Catholic faith, the Holy Spirit, with the help of your podcast, has convinced me to wait until marriage to have sex. Wow, wow, wow. Although I'm confident in this conviction... Having previously had premarital sex, the secular argument is still pervading in my mind, which is, how do you know you aren't just marrying him to have sex? This bothers me. How do you recommend discerning marriage without confusing lust and with love? I'm worried about getting into the weeds here. Thank you again.
0: Bless you, Tatum. Bless you, Tatum we all have wheat and weeds within us. There's no doubt about it. The Catechism says we will have those wheat and weeds growing together until the end of time and the beatific vision when we're finally fully purified. So the fact that you can recognize those mixed motives in you, the is this love, is this lust, I'm a little worried, Uh, welcome to the human race, welcome to the human race. But you're really, in your own wording of the question, you are making the argument for how important premarital chastity is, and let's define our terms here. Premarital chastity is not meant to lead us to believe that once you get married, you no longer need to be chaste, but premarital chastity is a particular expression of chastity, and that chastity must continue once one is married. Chastity, in other words, should not be confused with abstinence. Abstinence is the proper expression of of chastity for the unmarried. Mm -hmm. But once one is married, chastity is meant to be expressed and lived out in and through the marital embrace. Uh, The marital embrace is meant to be chaste, uh, and that means it's meant to be an expression of authentic love. This is why we must foster the virtue of chastity prior to marriage, otherwise we, we, we can approach marriage like a now i'm finally allowed to indulge in my lusts that is not chastity that is not marriage what's not what marriage is meant to be you can have this kind of mentality i see this confusion about marriage uh, oftentimes in in you know good-hearted engaged couples who want to save sex for marriage but they're they're impression is here in order to save sex for marriage, you got to chain yourself to that tree and I'm going to chain myself to this tree so we can't get at one another. Mm. But wh- what's the problem with that mentality? The way you then see the wedding night is, is what? Oh, now we're allowed to cut the chains loose. <laughs> and we, you know, Now we can have at it. That is not love. That is lust. We could put it this way. If the only thing that kept you from having sex before you got married was the fact that you didn't have the opportunity to engage in it, what does that say about the desire of your heart? Chastity is not white-knuckling it. The virtue of chastity means an inner transformation of our conscience and attitudes, St. John Paul II says, so as to experience and realize the value of human sexuality according to the Creator's original plan. What was the Creator's original plan? That man and woman would love one another in the image and likeness of God. In other words, the purpose of sexuality, the reason we are male and female, is to fulfill the gospel love one another as I have loved you. That call to love as God loves is chiseled by God right in the sexual difference. Tatum, You're fallen, like I'm fallen, like Wendy's fallen. And the challenge for all of us is a challenge of discernment. We are saying that the wheat and the weeds grow together. And we need to, we need John Paul II says, we need to evaluate the movements of our hearts. And yes, sometimes those movements of our hearts can be confused. Sometimes, this is right out of John Paul's playbook. He says, sometimes we can confuse lust with love, or love with lust. Does this mean we should cast our hearts in a in a state of suspicion? No, he says. Rather, we must learn how to discern what comes from lust and what comes from the perennial attraction of the sexes, the original plan of God. That's what he means by the perennial attraction of the sexes, that original, beautiful, wonderful plan of God. And he says, this task can be carried out, and it is really worthy of the human person. So Tatum, I'm holding it out to you right now. This task of discerning between the wheat and the weeds in your heart really can be carried out, and it is truly worthy of your humanity to carry it out, guided by Christ. That's the calling. That's the vocation. Again, we need to fill our minds and hearts with with that banquet, that beautiful plan of God. Uh, You yourself, Tatum, said that you've been exposed quite a bit to the secular message. What you breathe in, you're going to breathe out. So I invite you, Tatum, continue breathing in the true, the good, and the beautiful. Dedicate yourself every day to breathing in the true, the good, and the beautiful. Consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute, and we will provide for you ongoing formation to help you breathe this in and breathe it out. Consider coming to one of our courses, either online or in person. That will help you breathe it in and breathe it out. Take up a study of good news about sex and marriage, Theology of the Body for Beginners, Theology of the Body Explained, the whole catalog of books and and other resources we have here at the institute, breathe it in, and you'll breathe it out. Mm. And Google what other people are doing with theology of the body. You know there are a lot of other voices out there too. Look at Katrina Zeno's work. Look at Damon Owen's work. Look at Brian Butler's work. Look at look at Sister Helena Burns' work. Uh, yeah, get get access to the uh, virtual conference that we recently did. Over eighty talks from. Uh, all these different presenters breathe it in breathe it out that's how we grow that's how we learn this this process of discernment i hope that's helpful to you tatum
1: i I just am so excited about what god's doing in your life tatum and that you know our podcast has had some role in it it's it's a a great honor and when you do i know you will Uh, take either an in-person or an online course, please remind us that your question was answered on the podcast because that will just bring an added joy to know, you know, who you are, that we've, you know, been so honored to be part of your
0: journey. Tatum, you are precious. Know that you are loved. Know that you are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable as each and every one of our listeners and every human being on the planet really and truly is, this is who we are. May we become what we are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by The Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, A list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.